Okay, let's go to John 8 this morning. I'm really excited about getting into the Word. And I feel like this is the secret to the life of Jesus Christ. This week and the next three weeks, we're in a series called John I Am. I believe Jesus makes eight statements in the Gospel of John, his I Am statements. And the one today is, (laughs) let's just say that Jesus was never afraid of an awkward moment. He actually caused them. And if, if my Christianity is just trying to avoid people because I'm afraid of them and I don't, I'm afraid of awkward moments, I tell you, there's sometimes the Lord will just call you to say something that a lot of people don't like. And I think he got it from his father. We see in the desert that Jesus was tempted in three ways, and ambition, appetite, approval. And I tell you, that approval one can really take you down. <laughs> And he he overcame it. And you know, some of our hardest seasons are the ones that are actually developing deep character into us. I think the reason he overcame it was not just from a, a prayer of blessing. It was from a desert of suffering initiated by his father. And it's in the suffering seasons initiated by the father that you just grow a backbone. Everybody wants to go to Destin in the summer. And it's the same way with Jesus. Just give me a beach season. Well, King David says he prepares for you that season in the face of your enemies. And so this, this, is, uh, this wasn't just an idea imparted to Jesus Christ. He goes into the desert, led by the Holy Spirit, comes out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he just finds himself in a mess. That's what we called it growing up. You see some old guy behind Bilo about to get his tail whipped by some other guy, and half the high school knows about it. And we would just say, he's got himself in a mess. Jesus intentionally puts himself in a mess, and he has a conversation with some high-level Jewish leaders, and it goes like this, John chapter 8, verse 12. This is right off the heels of the woman caught in the act of adultery, and there's no condemnation in Christ, and here it goes. They do not like this at all. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. You got to be careful who you challenge. I don't like challenging mentors. I like challenging like teenagers. It's a lot more fun that way. You challenge a father figure. It's like, "Mm." you're like the fat panda in one of those movies at the beginning where he doesn't know what he's doing. What's the name of those movies? Yes, Kung Fu Panda. The Pharisees challenge God. Let that sink in. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Real quick context. If you're going to make claims like Jesus is making, you had to have a, a witness. And we have a first inclination that Jesus was more locked in on a realm he couldn't see. Because in his mind, his father was all the witness he needed. <laughs> and the whole time they're thinking, Joseph's not that big a deal. I mean, what's going on here? It's just, this, is just, this is fantastic theater. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. The day you figure that out, you'll start winning big. About to get stirred up. But you have no idea where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. Can we just say that together? I'm not alone. Michael Jackson made a lot of money off that song. The moment you realize 
that you're not alone even right now in this room at the grocery store, in the pit of Hades, at the apex of heaven, east, west, you can't escape his love for you. The moment you realize you're not alone, the moment you connect with the Father the same way Jesus connected with him, I am telling you the truth, everything changes. You want to know what everyone's looking for? They're looking for Papa. They're looking for the Father. Chesterton said, every man that knocks on the door of a brothel is searching for God. Absolutely. Except I would change that. Every man that knocks on the door of a brothel or a computer is looking for the Father. And that's for women as well. There is some sort of longing inside of us that we never really articulate our whole lives. And then you have these moments of epiphanies of, wait a minute, you're the one I'm longing for. When you find the one you're longing for, Satan can annihilate you and you still sleep in peace. Jesus starts his little conversation off here, little conversation. I do have a witness and I'm not alone. How tragic is it to believe in a God that you're not intimately connected with? A lot of people believe in Jesus because they don't want to burn forever in hell and go somewhere when they die. It is so much fun. Christianity becomes so much fun when you don't run from suffering, but you just connect with him as you walk through your seasons. And Jesus said, uh, I do have a valid testimony, and I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is my Father who sent me. They have no idea who he's talking about. They are brilliant at their covenant-cutting God and could preach the Torah left and right and don't know that the covenant-cutting God is standing right in front of them. And what scares me is I don't want to be that person either. I mean, it could happen to where you're like, Lord, where are you? I'm inside of you, Chad. I've told you a hundred times. I'm right here. I've already promised you I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You know, we are like sheep. We drift away. Jesus seemed to never drift. He was always locked in on the fact that his father was in him. Even when he healed people, he said, it's not I that do these works. It's the father who lives in me, for I am not alone. I only do what he tells me to do. I only say what he tells me to say. You know what the whole goal of my life is? And this is no disrespect to Jesus Christ at all. He's my king and my savior. The whole goal of my life is to be as intimately connected with his father as Jesus was. Jesus was never a bridge into heaven. Get over it. He was a bridge into Abba. Life gets fun when you begin to know him. The prophetic is not strange when you build intimacy with the father. It's normal. Well, we haven't even gotten started. It gets really good. Well, then they asked him, where is your father? You don't know me or my father. I love how he calls him my father. Love it. Jesus replied, if you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. It is so fun to realize there's a time that's not chronos time. And then when God's doing something in your life, nothing can come against you. Nothing can take you out if it's not your time. There's this, there's this sovereignty we've lost sight of in spirit-filled living. God is sovereign. He is sovereign. They could not take Jesus out if they wanted to. I rest at night knowing that I'm in your hands. I'm walking with you. Jesus' time had not yet come yet. It, it, it helps you not worry so much. Verse 21, once more Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Oh, vacation Bible school lesson there. All right, kids, come, come close. I'm about to be out of here. You're going to die in your sin. No Tootsie Rolls today. All right, that's it. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is he suicidal? 
Is that why he says, where you go, you, I, we cannot come? But he answered, you are from below and I am from above. He's not talking about hell. Jesus lived so high in his mind that even while he was here, he was still up there in his mind. I got to get to the point in my life where I live from there towards here. Jesus is so high in his thinking. He even considers the earth below. And Paul says this in Ephesians, once I give my life to him, his blood covers me. I'm now lifted, seated with him in heavenly places. But here's the deal. If I'm seated with him in heavenly places, but I don't know that I am, I can live from below my whole life. You don't need a great impartation to get high. You already are high in Christ because of the blood of Jesus. He's lifted you way high. Now the goal is to live from there towards here. Let me give you a perfect example. I have been through more spiritual warfare in the past five weeks than I have in the last six months. A good friend of mine that I'm waving at right now gave me a word about eight weeks ago. I see you sitting there, Delia. And ever since you gave that word, I knew it was coming. I walked outside, took a deep breath, and I said, Father, I trust you. Since that word, that word, it was an honest word. It wasn't a good word, but it was the true word. It has been an onslaught for five weeks. Here's how a lot of people see spiritual warfare. If you see spiritual warfare as I'm standing here and the devil staring at me face to face, the battle can just get really intense if you think you're fighting him face to face. But I usually kick this thing out all the time. I don't even know what it is. If you see the enemy as under your feet and you're doing spiritual warfare like this, you actually can sleep while you're in warfare. I've slept better in the past five weeks than I have in a long time, like a baby. And that's with no Advil PM. That's with no basketball the last two nights. I don't know what they're thinking, not putting them on Friday and Saturday night. He is under my feet. It's a major difference. Here's the deal. It's all about perspective. He's under your feet too. But if you cast faith to believe he's right here and you're warring against the enemy that way, it could just be horrific. It, there has to be some sort of a swagger in us the same way Jesus had a swagger. And he had a swagger. I promise you right here, his disciples are doing this as he's talking to these other men. They're doing this right here. He says, I do have my witness. I'm not alone. You're from below. I'm from above. And my witness is valid. Do you have any more questions? And then it gets not good. Verse 25. Well, who are you, they ask. Well, just what I've been claiming all along. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable. Can we just say he who sent me? He who sent me. Don't think about heaven. Think about the he of heaven. He's a father. He's your father. You're his, you're his child. I mean, I'm not going to lie. There's just a part of me with this, the five things that he's calling us to here and all these words. No problem. If my father's behind it. And this morning, I didn't talk to heaven. Oh, heaven. I said, Father, I think this is somewhat of a fleece. I'm still a sheep. I know you're with me. But just before I can finish the prayer, I get the text. Look at me that way. Verse 27, they did not understand what he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father taught me. You abide in your identity with intimacy with the father and obedience is a natural byproduct. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Even Jesus had to remind himself constantly that he wasn't alone. Jesus, being fully God, still needed to know he wasn't alone. That's why before he begins his ministry, he hears an audible voice from heaven. What's it say? This is my beloved baby boy, whom I'm well pleased. I'm just going to do some barnyard math here. This isn't trigonometry. 
If Jesus, fully God, needed his father's approval and identity, I probably do 10 times more a day, maybe a second. I've gotten to where a lot of times when I breathe, I just breathe in the father's love. My pillow has become his heart. When I lay my pillow down, I say, you know, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'm in the the palm of your hand. You're a good, good father. All my panic attacks and clinical depression and all that stuff used to come from a place of disconnection with the Father. The good news of the gospel is we're connected to the Father. And I'm going to tell you something. He's a really good person to have on your side. I've never met anyone like him. I love him. Verse 20, okay, verse 30. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. I think that's interesting. I'll preach that later on. To the Jews who have believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. This is fantastic. And have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we'll be set free? I'll tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendant, yet you're ready to kill me because you have no room in your hearts for my word. May I never get to a place, me, Chad Norris, where I don't have room in my heart for what he's speaking. If you were Abraham's children, then you would do things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me. And a man who has told you the truth, I heard from God, Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. They're speaking to him in the flesh and don't recognize him. Holy Spirit, never let me get to the place where I don't recognize you. If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now I'm here. I've not come on my own, but he sent me. This is like the fifth time he said this. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you not belong to God. The Jews answer, are we not right in saying that you are Samaritan demon-possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father. This is like, this is number 10 now. I think 18 times in this chapter. My father, my father, my father, the one who sent me, my father, my father, my father. It's it's his secret. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he's the judge. I tell you the truth, anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. At this, they exclaimed, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. Three words right there. Let's say that together. Let's say, I know him. I know him. This is Philippians 3, 7 through 10. This is Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. If any man boasts, let him boast about this, that they know me. That word know is an intimacy word. We're we're wired by the Father. This ring doesn't just remind me of Wendy. It reminds me of my covenant, my new covenant with the Father. We're hardwired by him to connect with him. And Jesus connected with him, and that's where all the power in his life came from. 
He said, it's not I that do these works. You are not yet 50 years old, verse 57. And you've seen Abraham, and then this is it. This is, this is the biggie. I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. And this, this is why they wanted to kill him. The one who split the Red Sea was right in front of him. Not only did he receive such revelation from the Father and grow in wisdom and stature, but Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, he was the exact representation of the Father. He was standing right in front of them. A couple of fascinating takeaways that I have from this passage is that Jesus did not just see his Father as one who was in heaven. Jesus saw his Father as one who was with him. Major difference. If my theology is already always pointed towards he's somewhere out there and I don't realize that the person of the Holy Spirit is with me, then I'm never going to be a walk in power and authority the way Jesus did. If we're his ambassadors on this earth, the only way we can fulfill the Great Commission is to live the way he lived. And his five core principles were Father, 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 Father. He wasn't planning on talking to that woman at the well that day. When he forgave the woman caught in the act of adultery, his father was feeding that to him. Luke 2.52, he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He realized he wasn't alone. And then he says to his Jews, I am. You're looking at me. I believe it actually breaks the father's heart when we disconnect from him. This is why you see Jesus say, oh, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you as a hen gathered her chicks, but you would not come to me. And Jesus slips out. He doesn't throw rocks at them. He doesn't stone them. He doesn't kill them. He actually died for them. And even on the cross, he says this, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Ignorance takes you into darkness. Intimacy with the Father brings light and revelation. And once you have revelation, then it becomes two goals, to connect with him and dish that out to other people. David Seaman is a prolific Christian counselor over the years, 30 years experience. He said in his life, he has found that two common traits in people who are unhappy, the inability to receive love and the inability to give that love out. You know what I see in Jesus there? He received love and he gave it out. Even when he gave hard truth, it was through the lens of love. And he says, you're looking at me. I am he. And so today the invitation becomes for us the whole from Genesis to Revelation, we see this story all over the place. God draws close. People think he's going to kill us, and he's so kind. And then the kindest act when he sacrifices his son, sends his Holy Spirit to live with us, is the kindness of the Father that makes me want to connect with him in the first place. And then we just go just be a representative of that everywhere we are. Before we have an invitation this morning that I'll clearly give.